right. It is time for a TMT, and we have a special guest, special treat today. Jill Dodd is here with us, and um, Jill is the daughter of Dan and Cameron Staley. She does missions work in the U.S. with Frontiers, training folks, um, preparing them to go abroad. And so she's going to do our TMT today and just bless us and pray over us. So welcome, Jill. Thank you for being here. Good morning. Can you guys hear me okay? I'm not a trained professional on all these speaker things like Dave, Brother Dave. Yeah, well, I just am so happy to be here with this, you this morning. And I, we were talking, and the Lord has just given me a, a question that he's been teaching me through. And I just wanted to share it with you and share some stories of what God's doing around the world. And the question, it, it was really cool when we were singing that Be Thou My Vision song. It was, what do you see? What do you see? I feel like God's been telling me, Jill, what do you see? And it's kind of like my children, right? Like, go get the thing out of the closet, blah, blah, blah. And I come back, and as mom always told me, well, did you find it? No, I didn't see it. And kind of a little switch to that, what did you see, is God saying, what are you looking for? What did you look for? Did you actually look for something? Or you're just like, no, I don't see you, God. I don't see what, what's going on. But what are we looking for? And I have the privilege of um, seeing on a daily basis what God's doing. Now, trust me, there's mornings my little six-year-old wakes me up. You know, and it's not like what I'm thinking. They're like, Mommy, are you awake yet? And so we wake up each morning. All of us wake up every morning, right? What do you see? Do you go looking, do you engage in the morning looking for what God is doing? I have the privilege to work with Frontiers. Frontiers does disciple-making around the world among Muslim people. That's what we do. That's what we're focused on. How are you going to make a disciple? What's a disciple? A follower, right? A student, someone that follows and studies Jesus. Right now, in East Africa, is one of my, my colleagues, my friends. And she's working with a brother named Isla, okay? Isla is a 14-year-old boy. He was a Muslim, and his dad had sent him off to a Muslim um, boarding school. And kind of like back in the, you know, there's always been sickness that goes around. And he got cerebral malaria outbursts that happened. He ended up in the hospital. He's laying there away from his family, away from everyone. And, you know, his fellow students are dying in the beds next to him. And he's laying there. He has nothing he can do. And he's like, am I going to die too? Now, and the Muslims see their, their good deeds and their bad deeds. And if their good deeds outweigh their bad deeds, they might have a chance to get to go to heaven. And he's laying there thinking, oh, man, I'm going to die right here, and there's nothing more I can do that's good to flip the scale. And he just laid there, and a Christian teacher came that had had him and had a chance to get to know him. He had become a follower of Jesus after the fact. And he brought him bread, and he brought him milk, because back in the overseas, you have to have your family bring you food, or you don't really have much of anything. And so he said, hi, Isla, here's some food. And he said, if you die today, looking around, knowing death is at his door, would you go to heaven? 
can you be forgiven of your sins? And Isla was like, no, he didn't want to have anything to do with this infidel, as as they say for Christians. But he sat there, and he realized, and he wrestled with that. And the teacher left, and he continued to think about that. He knew that Jesus was the way. He had been, the teacher went on and had shared, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the only way to come to heaven. If you die today, will you be forgiven for your sins? So the teacher came back, and he said, I want to be forgiven. I am forgiven. It was, he had gone through the process and worked through that. Miraculously, two weeks later, he was healed, went on, ended up finding a Bible. Someone had brought him a Bible. He read it in secret. You know, he went home to his family. He still hid it, but they found out. But he had been reading the word. He had been feeding himself on the word. And his family said, you are dead to me. So at 14, he left. He left his family. He made it on his own. And he didn't go back to that region of Africa. He went to a different region. And he lived as an adult. He had a dream. And in the dream, there was a field and cabbage heads were growing in this field near his, his family up in the north. And he was like, what is this dream? He didn't know what to do with this, but he couldn't get away from this dream that God was giving him these fields of cabbage heads. And one day, he said, God said, you see cabbage heads, and I see followers of Jesus. And he was like, it's a dead field. Like, how am I supposed to see cabbage heads? And God just continued to wrestle with him, and he continued to see the word and the word transforming lives in his own life. And he was like, how can I not help? Jesus said, go and make disciples and teach them to obey. So he was like, I have to go back to this region. So he got a camel, and he rode to those areas. And at that, one of the times that he was sharing the truth of who Jesus was, a woman said to him, so who's going to come back and teach us to follow this Jesus you're telling us about? And that's when it clicked. He thought, it's not about even, it is about me going and sharing the gospel, but it's about teaching others to do this too. And it has multiplied. And right now, my colleague is working among this brother, Isla, who has now discipled and training thousands of others. It's not about him. He's like, it's not about me. It's about the cabbage heads, right? It's those, those are pockets of believers that in their own fields are sharing. And disciple makers that aren't, aren't receiving a, a stipend, and they're not receiving money from the West, they're already doing their trade and they're just saying, show us how to talk to others. Show us how to do that. We're using healthcare. Currently, we're equipping them and educating them on basic health principles. So when they have access to these small little villages, they have something to meet a physical need, a spiritual need, and they're sharing the gospel. So when we say we make disciples, we have to think of how are we making someone that truly follows Jesus, right? How are we truly doing that? So bringing that back to today, that's far away in Africa, right? (laughs) What are we seeing here? What's our life looking like here? Do you see them? Do you see the nations? They're here. Do you see the cabbage heads? Do you see the dry fields? You know, I'll admit, 
I had no desire for doing anything to do with missions when I was your age. My dear mom, she was very passionate about missions, and I was like, yeah, right, you can go. I'm staying home. I wanted nothing to do with it. I wanted nothing to do with it. And yet, I realized as I stood in the lunch line at Lincoln High School, I saw them. The nations were here. And I was like, sure, I'll help them figure out how to give their lunch tickets. That was back in the day of lunch tickets. And I could help them figure out how to get to class. And I could begin relationships and friends. And so God just continued to woo my heart of these people that hadn't had a chance to hear. They had been taken from their homes as immigrants and brought without any knowledge. They were just given this coat, you know. This was in the time of the Lost Boys from Sudan and from other regions in that area. And so God began to woo me in that way. And in high school, I got a chance to go as a babysitter to a conference. And I saw at the University of Kentucky, KU's stadium, this conference, they took a huge sign and put in the seats, you know, we are all down below, a placard, like a sign for each unreached people group of the world. Unreached, no access to the gospel. They didn't have a way to know. And I sat there and I thought, all of those, each one of those represents thousands, millions of people. I felt so small. And I thought, oh. And God said, what do you see? What do you see? Do you see the nations? And I came back to Sioux Falls and the lunch line came even more alive. So I challenge you, when you wake up each morning, what do you see? What are you going to look for? Are you going to go about my coworker? Are you going to see an opportunity? When you go to the gas station, are you going to, well, are you going to go into the gas station? Or are you going to try to engage in that way? Go to the coffee shop. They're everywhere. And I'm not just talking about internationals. Yes, please see the nations. Please see the opportunities. But just see also what God has for you. You know, I, I, I think of, I was in, reading in John this week, John 4, where Jesus shares with the woman at the well, and we're just like, oh, wow, the power. He saw her, and he knew. And then afterwards, his disciples came up to them, and they're like, well, aren't you going to eat something? And he's like, hello. <laughs> You're worried about something like that. He's like, open your eyes. The fields are ripe for harvest. It's not about what we're going to eat. This harvest, do we really believe that if Jesus has forgiven us from our sins and that has power, is it worth sharing? I, my, one of my life verses is Hebrews 12. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. So if he is our vision, if we are looking to him, he's going to write your story and he's going to perfect your faith to do it. But that verse goes on. And talking about he endured the cross and he took on our shame. So what's stopping us? Are we ashamed? Are we worried? We don't have to worry. He goes before us and he took that shame. So he's worth it all. So I just challenge you to think, to ask the Lord to show you what he wants you to see and what he wants you to look for. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you that you open our eyes, that you are the Lord of the harvest, and you are calling us to yourself. But as we fix our eyes on you, Jesus, 
Would it not be about us? Would it not be, would we see the need before us? Would we desire to engage the nations, Lord? We thank you for what you are doing in Africa today, Lord. We pray for more to fall at your feet. And God, would we be transformed? Would we become more um, students and followers of you as we respond and obey you each day? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Jill. Jeannie's going to come on up and read the scripture. Um, if you can hang out afterwards, talk to Jill just about her work, um, training, mobilizing people for missions. There's lots of opportunities. I had a great time meeting with her yesterday. Just about all the opportunities that we can take advantage of as a church to go with Frontiers. And if you'd like to support her as well, please visit with her afterwards. Jeannie's going to read the scripture, and then Kyle's going to come and preach. Matthew 4. Verses 12 through 23. Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. The word of the Lord. Well, it was the winter of 1946. A great cloud of uncertainty had descended upon the Western world. You see, there was a new form of totalitarianism that was rising in the East. Okay, and the Allied forces, the United States in particular, no longer riding the highs of their victory in World War II, they were divided and directionless. Okay? Uh, you see, many in the U.S. saw Russian leader Joseph Stalin as just protecting his own national interests, right? His own national security. But others, saw him as a violent dictator who posed this imminent threat to global peace and prosperity. Okay? Uh, but convinced of Stalin's danger, British Prime Minister Winston Churchill, he boarded a ship bound for America to try to shore up support with his American allies. And as he rode across the Atlantic, he sat on the bridge of his ship, and as he recounted the next day in a speech to American leaders, he said, yesterday I was on the bridge watching the mountainous waves. And this ship, which is no pup, cutting through them, 
and mocking their anger. I ask myself, why is it that the ship beats the waves when they are so many and the ship is one? The reason is the ship has a purpose and the waves have none. Okay? The ship has a purpose and the waves have none. Now, as you're sitting here today, okay, ask yourself, is your life like that ship? Are you confidently headed toward an important goal or destination in your life, right? Is your life like that ship? Is your life like Brother Isla we learned about? Of course, when you put it that way, you may say to yourself, the answer is probably no, right? <laughs> uh, in reality, uh, most of us are going to fall probably into a couple different camps today, right? Um, first, instead of feeling like you're cutting through the waves, you may feel more adrift. You may feel more adrift at sea, right? Uh, perhaps you set out strong some time ago, but the waves have won, right? The waves are now carrying your ship wherever they may. What you're lost, right? Directionless, maybe hopeless, whatever it is. Uh, and maybe the last thing on your, on, your, on your mind is purpose, right? Maybe you're in survival mode, and you're just wondering, hey, how, how, I don't care about tomorrow. I want to get through today. Now, uh, maybe you wouldn't say you're lost at all, okay? Quite the opposite, in fact, right? Life might not be perfect, but it's amazing. Most of us are sitting here today probably feeling quite fine, right? Things, things are probably okay. Lifeway Research did a study a couple years back, and they found that approximately half of American adults do not regularly think that they need more meaning or purpose in their lives. That's amazing, okay? Half of us likely feel fine today, okay? So there may very well be a degree of contentment, right? But what, what does that have the danger of leading to? Contentment can lead to complacency, right? Um, in Philippians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul says, Everywhere and in all things, I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry. And a lot of us have become so full, we've forgotten that call to stay hungry. Right? Uh, many of us have become like the servant in Jesus' parable of the talents, who hides his master's money, right? You know, he has it. He has this thing of great value. and You know, things are okay. And then in his fear, he hides it, right? Afraid to lose it. Now he's disappointed as a master. So some of us, right, uh, we've anchored down, right? Uh, you know, some of us are adrift. Some of us anchored. Now some of us, right, we know this. But instead of, you know, instead of feeling anchored down, instead of feeling adrift, you feel stuck, right? You feel stuck. You're like, hey, I want to go on mission. But you're stuck in harbor, right? You're a ship waiting to be sent out. You want, you know, clear direction from God, right? Perhaps a lightning strike of sorts, right? And guess what? We're going to get a lightning strike today. Okay? But it's going to look more like the zap of a dog's shock collar, okay, than it is a miraculous lightning bolt of heaven, okay? You see, what we're going to find in our text is we're going to find really how do we create the conditions in our life for a lightning storm of mission and purpose to appear, okay? That's what we're going to find. Um, it's going to involve patience, but it's not going to involve waiting around. Okay, God's going to send every one of us out from harbor today. Now, perhaps uh, you would say that you're none of these. Okay, perhaps you'd say you're not even a Christian here today. And I just want to be the first to say thank you for coming. Okay, uh, we're very glad you're here. What you're going to get to do today is you're going to get to kind of look under the hood of the life that Jesus calls his disciples to. Okay, 
So while today's message is going to be directed at followers of Jesus, uh, just know we're very glad you're here. We have green connect cards in the back. We'd love to get in touch with you and walk with you and whatever uh, brought you here today. Uh, we're also going to have a prayer team up here at the end if you want prayer in your life, okay? Whatever it is, we'd love to be around you. Um, but you see, no matter where you find yourself, okay, the truth is very few of us are like that ship, right? Very few of us are just like, yes, I know exactly where I'm going. You know, I'm impervious to the waves of life. Um, I work in a very people-intensive business. It's hospitality, okay? And one of the things you get to do when you work in a people-intensive business is you get to give interviews, lots of interviews, way more interviews, especially the last couple of years. Uh, sometimes we're like, and like many heavy interviewers, uh, I got my list of questions, okay? Uh, and one of my favorite questions that I like to ask, uh, almost always towards the end of the interview, is some form of the question, what are your life goals? What's your career vision, okay? And I do this to try to gauge, hey, is this job and this individual, are they compatible, right? Is this gonna be a long-term thing or is this just a, you know, just a stepping stone that's you know, not gonna last more than a moment, right? Uh, it's very important, folks, after hundreds of interviews, I can count on one hand, maybe two, the number of people who, have, who can answer that simple question, what are your life goals with any, with any degree of clarity? It's amazing, okay? It's true with part-time entry-level positions, it's true all the way up to executive positions, okay? We're bad at this, right? We're just, we're bad at answering the question of what specifically am I trying to do with my life, right? What am I, what is my life going to accomplish when it's all said and done, okay? We're bad at it, okay? And there's good news and there's bad news with this, okay? The fact that we can't answer this question with clarity, okay? There's good news and there's bad news. Uh, the bad news is it's not okay, okay? That's not okay. Uh, that we can't answer that question with clarity. You see, we learn from our passage that every single one of us is called to mission. Okay? Uh, look closely. Jesus calls out to the disciples. He's not responding to them. Right? Uh, now, as we'll see, the disciples had placed themselves in a position where Jesus could call them. Right? And that is monumental. It's huge. We'll come back to that. Uh, but what's the call? The call is simply, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So do you see, immediately as we're given a call, we're also given a charge, right? With our calling comes mission. They're inseparable, okay? So if you're, if you're here today, if you've been called by Jesus, I want you to know you've been charged to go on mission. And importantly, we find Jesus repeats this very same call to mission at the end of his life on earth, right? As he's departing to heaven, he charges us with what we call the Great Commission, Matthew 20, right? What is it? We've heard it already today. It's to go and make disciples, okay? It's the same charge, the same mission. So Jesus, okay, in his very short three years on earth, right, in his earthly ministry, uh, he bookends his ministry with his call to mission, this exact same call to mission. Just, we can't overlook this. Elsewhere in Scripture, we read things like Proverbs 29, 18, which says, without vision, the people perish. Perhaps you've heard it, right? Some version of it. Without vision, the people perish. Okay? And the Hebrew word here for vision 
okay, implies not a man-created plan. It's that of a God-given revelation, right? And the Hebrew word for perish is a little difficult to translate, but the analogy, okay, that a lot of the commentators pull out is it's analogous to long, unbraided hair that's free-flowing in the wind, directionless, okay? And who does it say? Without vision, people perish, become directionless. Who does it say becomes directionless? Certain people, just, maybe just, just business people, maybe just, just leaders. It's, it's all people, folks. This is a truism, okay? Without vision, people perish. And Life Church, this is why Nathan Hitchcock is going to be leading us through a vision casting, or rather a vision listening process this year, right? We're all going to be a part of this. Because without vision, we're directionless. Right? That's, not, that's not God's plan for us. He doesn't desire any one of us as individuals or as a church. He does not desire us to be directionless. Okay? Uh, so God absolutely desires and calls us to have clear mission and purpose in our lives. Now, if that's bad news, then that's the bad news. Okay? See the reverse psychology there? Okay? The bad news is really good news. Okay? Now, the good news is our text contains some great hope, specifically three things okay, that we're going to explore. Okay? First is the mission. What is it? Right? What is this great mission call that we've been given? Okay, we're going to explore that. Number two, we're going to explore the strength. How do we get it? Okay, how do we get strength to go on this mission? Right? And then number three, we're going to look at the disciplines to cultivate further mission in your life. All right? So we're going to look at the mission, we're going to look at the strength, and then we're going to look at the disciplines. We've got nine disciplines that we're going to cover. So we're going to get through this. Very quick background on our text from Matthew 4. Uh, this text is known as the inauguration of Jesus' earthly ministry. Okay? This is a critical transition point in the gospel to a whole new phase in Jesus' life. Uh, this is an extremely timely text for Life Church because we have this wonderful chosen watch party okay? that's happening every Sunday night at, at 6 p.m. Okay? Many of these scenes take place in and around these verses. Right? This is like right now. This is the text. Okay? Uh, what do we find? We find Jesus has just been baptized. He's faced and overcome temptation. Uh, John the Baptist, we learn, has been thrown into prison, and at least a few of his, at least a few of John's disciples, gone back to their day jobs. And then Matthew quotes Isaiah 9, which is one of the most famous Messianic prophecies to show how and where Jesus is going to begin his earthly ministry. It's in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. Isaiah says these were those dwelling in the region and shadow of death. The region was obscure, it was generally despised, being full of Gentiles, and it was constantly under the threat of war and invasion because it was the closest, it was the, there were the front lines between Israel and the powerful kingdoms of Babylon and Assyria. Uh, and as we'll see, it's not in spite of these reasons, but it's because of these reasons that Jesus is going to set up shop. He's going to start his earthly ministry right here. Uh, and immediately, he settles in the economic center of the region, town called Capernaum on the Sea of Galilee, and he's going to stay here all the way from Matthew chapter 4 all the way to chapter 19, okay? So this is, this is, this is big stuff in Jesus' life, and what's the first thing he does? He gets himself some disciples, and immediately he gives them and us this first point of our message, right? This mission call. What is our mission? Folks, from the moment 
you hear Jesus' call in your life. I want you to know he desires absolute clarity as to what he wants you to spend your time doing. Okay? Absolute clarity. God desires zero ambiguity to be in your life as to what should I spend my time doing for him. We see it plainly in our text. What is it? It's becoming fishers of men. Translation. It's making disciples of yourself and of others. And that's it. That's it. (laughs) Uh, The great mission call to all of us is simply to be and make disciples. The business management guru, guru Stephen Covey, he once said, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Okay? (laughs) And praise God that Jesus makes the main thing so crystal clear to us. Is it crystal clear to you? Is disciple-making one of the primary motivations of your heart that gets you out of bed in the morning? So if you get nothing else out of the message today, please understand, your life mission is to be and make disciples. So no more overthinking it, okay? Perfectionists, right? Overthinkers among us, I know you're out there, okay? Listen up. No more overthinking. No more overcomplicating, okay? His yoke is easy and his burden is light, people. Just got to keep the main thing the main thing. So when, when we hear this fishers of men reference, uh, this is tied to Jesus' parable later in Matthew 13, where he says the kingdom of heaven, it's like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. So the idea is that we're to cast our net, right? We're to catch others out of the darkness of this world, right? Uh, and we're to bring them into God's kingdom and into a relationship with him. So that's the essence of being a, a fisher of men, of being a disciple maker. Uh, and as we've already seen, this is the same call that Jesus repeats with his final earthly words, right? right? He's bookended his earthly ministry. Right? Now, imagine you were being trained for a special operations mission, right? A highly technical you know, operation you've been training for you know, years, right? And you've got one final meeting with your commanding officer before you set out, go radio silent, okay? Imagine that commanding officer sits you down, he looks you right in the eyes, and gives you 50 words. How carefully do you think you are going to listen to, remember, and then abide by those words? That's exactly what Jesus has given us in the Great Commission. Are you taking it as seriously as he meant it? Is the main thing the main thing in your life? Uh, But you see, not only do we get clarity on this overall mission, we also get strength as well, okay? Don't overlook this one word. Jesus says, I will make you. He says, follow me and I will make you. He will make you. The work is all on Jesus, folks. Uh, Just a couple days ago, I was driving on my way home to Sioux Falls from Rapid City across Interstate 90, okay? It's after dark, and amazingly, for most of the trip, I have actually clear roads in good conditions. It's amazing, okay? But as we know, in South Dakota in January, nothing good lasts for more than a fleeting moment, right? Okay? So when I get to Chamberlain, I run into, you know, sheets of ice over the whole interstate, right? Which... 
okay, you know, we kind of expected that, you know, that's fine. Uh, but then a couple miles later, I run into fog so thick, I could, I could have rolled down my window, reached out, and grabbed some chunks of it, right? And I'm guessing most of us here have driven through fog this heavy, right? And when, and when you have, what do you know about it? It's exhausting, right? You can see maybe 30 feet in front of you, right? You can't take a moment off, right? It is, I mean, it is so draining. It is so exhausting. Uh, you, just, you just want to pull over, which is where I was. And right as I'm about ready to pull over, right, and just take a nap or whatever, uh, just get a break, uh, somebody passes me. And amazingly, they go at an appropriate pace that was, you know, faster than 25 miles an hour, so it was actually worth me continuing on the journey. But now, instead of looking at the road 30 feet in front of me, I can see their taillights, right? Anybody who's driven through the fog knows exactly what I'm talking about, right? Because you can see their taillights, you know, maybe 100 yards in the distance. So as long as I keep a safe distance now, right, now I can continue on. The pressure's off. Folks, when Jesus says, follow me, he's telling you he's like that car that takes the lead. So this means a few things. One, it means you better let him pass you, right? You better, you better let him take the lead. And number two, it means there's no more sitting on the side of the road, right? No more sitting out. You've got to follow him, right? You've got to put your car and drive and go. So if you're either burned out from charging ahead alone in your life, exhausted because you can't take any moment off because all the pressure's on you, or if you're stuck, frozen by fear on the side of the road, you need to remember here that Jesus says our task is to follow. It's his task. He's going to make you into that great disciple and great disciple maker, okay? Your task is to get out of your boat and follow. Uh, in Philippians again, chapter 1 this time, the Apostle Paul says, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. And that's exactly what Jesus is promising here. Okay, he's guaranteeing he's going to lead you safely through the fog. He's saying, you don't have to do this mission alone. He's saying, I will lead you. I will provide the strength you need, right? All you have to do is follow. To the disciples in our passage, he's saying, he will catch the fish. They just have to throw out their net. Okay? He will provide the strength. We just need to get out of our boats and follow him. And that, ladies and gentlemen, that is what we call the gospel. Okay? Jesus has done the work to save you. Okay? Uh, you just need to show you believe him by getting out of your boat. right? By following him, by putting your car in drive. So, any other Sunday, this would be a wonderful end point. Okay? but the Vikings are not in the playoffs anymore, okay? And this call to follow me implies that there is more, okay? So infinitely more, okay? So we're going to explore that here, okay? Uh, we've seen the mission, all right? And we know where we get the strength, who we get the strength from. Uh, now Jesus shows us, uh, and the disciples too, the disciplines we need to develop and cultivate in our lives to become the type of people that he will bless with further mission, okay? You can think of it in a way like we've gotten our all-important college diploma, right? You've got it, okay? Now we're graduating on to ever more advanced degrees, right? So you've got, you've got this diploma, and I'll be honest, right? We could end here, and you could go out, you could get a great job with just this diploma. But there's more, 
right? We can go deeper, right? We're not changing our field of study, but we can go deeper, okay? We can go ever higher up this mountain of mission, okay? Uh, but how do we climb? How do we get out from harbor, right? How do we pick up our anchor and go? Well, James Clear, the author of a best-selling book called Atomic Habits, he said, goals are good for setting a direction, but systems are best for making progress. You get that? Goals are good for setting a direction, but systems are best for making progress. Uh, so we have our goal, right? It's disciple making. Now, to make progress, we need systems. We need actions. We need habits, right? These things that we call disciplines that we need to cultivate in our life, right? That lead us to becoming step by step, day by day, one action by one action, right? They lead us to becoming the type of person that eventually Jesus is going to look at and say, you're ready. I'm going to task you with even more. So we're going to move uh, extremely quickly through these disciplines. Like I said, we got nine of them, okay? Uh, but the idea here is to get you thinking about how you can begin to start building and cultivating these in your life, right? Like a, like a good garden, right? We got, we got big plans for it. It's not going to happen overnight, okay? And if you're like me, it's probably, that garden might not ever happen. But we could try, okay? No, we could try. This is different, all right? Uh, so we have nine S's. We have nine S's today, okay? Pastor Dave gave you three P's last week. Today you get nine S's, okay? Jack's up next week. Watch out. You might get a dozen Q's. We don't know. We don't know. We just know it's going to be Ray because it's Jack. Um, so nine S's. What are they? Number one, submit. Submit. You must submit to God's authority. And this is, this is going to be like the umbrella that all the others fall under, okay? Uh, and if as a church, I don't know how we can do this, Pastor, but if we can just level with each other for a moment, okay, just be real, all right, just take the masks off. When we think of the disciples, we think they're a bunch of morons, don't we? Huh? Come on, right? When you think of the disciples, it's like these guys, they're just a bunch of bird brains, right? That could be the temptation, okay? Not always, but it can be the temptation, okay? Um, now, it's just not true, right? Not entirely. You see, because something amazing in our passage today that we see is these four disciples that, that, that we read about in our passage, okay? Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Folks, these were God-fearing men who courageously and wisely uh, submitted their entire lives to actively chasing after God, right? And that's just in the lead-up to our passage, okay? So think of all the things that they've done in their life just to put them in the position where they could enter our story today, okay? A few of them we learn, or we know, uh, were disciples of the renowned John the Baptist, one of the most famous people in all of Israel, right? And one of the greatest men ever to walk this earth. You think that's a small thing, to be his disciple, okay? And they made incredible sacrifices to not just follow John, but now Jesus, who they were smart enough to be hanging around, Okay? So they may have been ordinary, but they were not the total fools that sometimes we can think them to be. All right? So ask yourself, have you offered your, your entire life in submission to God as they did? And in so doing, have you placed yourself in a position where he can use you? 
Okay? That's what it means to submit. And you must do it fully before moving on. Okay? If you're holding back in any area of your life, if you're unwilling to get out of your boat for whatever reason, whatever that reason is, that's your real God. And Jesus, he's not going to use you if you're committed to another God. Submit your whole life to Jesus. Okay? Place it at his feet. Let him use it at his sole discretion. Then he will use you. All right, discipline number two, study. Study the scriptures. Okay? Now, another confession moment. I don't understand exactly what it was like for Jesus to be fully man and fully God. Okay? It's just it's not an understanding that I possess, that I think any of us possess at the end, right? Uh, but I do think one misconception that we have is we tend to think that Jesus had this constant, direct communication channel open with God the Father at all times, right? Like a pro football quarterback, do you know they have these little headsets in their helmets? Do you know that, where they can talk to their coaches? Uh, it's true, it's amazing. So, you know, I think sometimes we think like, okay, Jesus had a little headset, right? And God was just telling him, you know, exactly where to go, you know, okay, go talk to this person, go say these words, right? And it's possible. Let's, let's not put anything past the creator of the universe, right? Uh, but you see, all indications show us that the primary tool Jesus used to discern God's will in his life was not a headset. It was scripture. It was scripture. Okay? He knew Isaiah's words okay, so well that when the time came, he knew exactly what to do, and he knew exactly where to go. Okay? He didn't wait around for some miraculous sign, right? He knew the signs because he had ingrained Scripture into his mind and into his heart. Proverbs 2, verses 4 and 5 says, If you seek wisdom like silver and search for it as hidden treasures, then you will find the knowledge of God. So if I told you there was a box hidden within this church that contained 10 million in cash, right? 10 mil. Nice, nice sum. Do you think you would even let me finish this sentence, right, before at least your eyes start to wander, right? And folks, the wisdom in Scripture, I mean, it's, it's, it's infinitely more value than any dollar amount in the world, right? Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away, but these words will never pass away. Your knowledge of the Scriptures is something you, you are going to take with you for all of eternity. And yet for most of us, we own multiple Bibles, and they mostly collect dust on our shelves. Maybe we read a chapter or two in the morning, right? So please, folks, um, you got to have words in your life, right? Uh, I talked to Pastor Dave this week. We have a full rack of Bibles in the back. Please take one. If you need one, if you know somebody who, need, who needs one, take one, right? You've got to have God's word in your life, Okay. Study the scriptures. Search for them as you would the greatest treasure in the world. Write them on a stone tablet in your heart until you bleed them like Jesus did. Got to study. All right? Uh, discipline number three, subdue. We got to subdue unrepentant sin in our life. So note how Jesus only embarks on his earthly ministry after he has faced and overcome temptation. After he's bound the strong man, as he likes to say, right? Uh, in all the good spy thriller movies, there's always a scene where the protagonist has to go take out some bad guys before they can go after whatever it is they're going after, right? 
piece of intelligence, freeing a hostage or whatever it is, right? Okay. Well, Jesus knew he had to go take out the bad guys in his life before he could go embark on his mission. Do you think your life is going to be any different? We could spend a lot of time here, okay? Subject of sin has uh, been preached on a few times over the years. Uh, but know that it doesn't mean you must be perfect, right? Uh, rather, it means mainly you must repent of any sin you're actively, routinely living in, right? That you're cherishing. In Psalm 66, the author says, If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, if I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. So the idea is when like, you're living in a certain sin that you know is wrong, that you're, you're willfully not repenting of, right? That's when God will remove his hand of blessing from you. It doesn't say he's going to leave you or forsake you, but he will remove his hand of blessing from you. So what sin might you be cherishing in your life? Whatever it is, know that that is what is holding you back from further mission, further discipleship, further joy. So if you want to go on more mission with Jesus, you've got to subdue any unrepentance in your life. Okay? Uh, discipline number four, surround. Surround yourself with community. So as we've seen, Jesus shows us that surrounding ourselves with like-minded brothers and sisters, it's primal. Right? It means like, we've got to do this before we do anything else. Right? Even Jesus, who enjoyed perfect fellowship with the Father and the Holy Spirit, he set out to surround himself with community. And note how he was intentional about this. You see how proactive he was? Right? He didn't wait around for friends or community or disciples to come to him. He sought them out. Right? And again, if Jesus did so, do you think your life should look any different? Do you think you should approach your life mission any differently without seeking community in your life? Okay, a couple quick questions just to gauge where you're at here. Do you have a written list of people you're actively discipling? Could you write down a list for me today? Number two, how many people are you helping actively achieve their dreams, their life mission? How many people do you even know their dreams? How many people are you actively helping achieve those dreams? Okay, question number three, how many people are you specifically praying for to overcome a specific sin or major challenge in their life? How many people? And number four, how many people can say those things about you? I do not do very good answering those questions from time, but that, folks, that's Christian community. That's what Jesus calls us to do. That's what Jesus sought out in the disciples here. It's deep, it's real, it's messy. That's what we're called to. Discipline number five, shine. Shine your light in the dark. Jesus started his universe-changing ministry in a small, unremarkable town in an unpopular region after his biggest and basically only ally had been thrown into prison, then chooses uneducated fishermen to be his only help. Why? Folks, he didn't do it to prove a point. He did it because these people needed help. These were the people who needed help. Isaiah says they were people dwelling in darkness. They were in the shadow of death. You want purpose in your life? Stop looking to your own fulfillment. Start looking to how you can bring light to others who are in darkness. Okay, Proverbs eleven twenty five. It's like become one of my life verses for whatever reason. Uh, says he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. 
So if you want refreshment, stop looking to yourself. Start looking as to how you can refresh others. And in so doing, you're going to have to go to the dark. Okay? And let me just say quickly, some of us, the reason some of us may feel lack of contentment, a lack of purpose here, is we're shining our light amidst light. Right? Uh, we've never gone into the darkness. And it's no wonder we don't feel effective. Right? We're spending our energy where it isn't needed. There's a great line in the children's Jesus Storybook Bible in the story of Jesus' birth that says, and the darker the night got, the brighter the star would shine. Folks, your light is only useful in the darkness. Go there. Right? Fresh others. Shine your light boldly in the dark. Uh, discipline number six, stay. Stay in your vocation. Okay? And I'm going to speak very, very generally on this point, okay? Because there's a lot of, lot of exceptions, okay? This is not hard and fast. But note here how Jesus doesn't call the disciples to abandon their vocation, right? He calls them to a higher calling within their vocation. And we know that after Jesus' death, right, before his resurrection, what did the disciples do? They went back to their fishing boats. So on some level, they had hung on to these things, Right? These are no small assets. These are probably one of their top assets, right? Probably took them some, some work to hang on to them, but they did, okay? You see, when, when, when the disciples met Jesus, everything in their lives changed, everything. But their day jobs didn't. We tend to think our day jobs need to change and everything else shouldn't. Now, for time's sake, I'm just going to generally say, if you're doing work that helps God's people or helps God's world, right? Very, very general categories, there's a good chance that your job may not be the problem, okay? Uh, if you're unhappy with your job or career, try cultivating these disciplines, right? Try reframing your mindset around this, this missional call, right? Uh, then, let's see how you feel, right? You may be surprised. Search for, search for ways to serve him and others within your vocation, right? Get creative, refresh others, right? Look for the dark places where you can shine your light, okay? Then address your vocation. And it may be a problem, okay? Um, but let's try these first, all right? Discipline number seven, step. We step with the Spirit. Jesus had just started the greatest mission the world will ever know. And right away, right as he sets out, okay, he is literally in the act of fulfilling one of the greatest prophecies in all the world, in all the Old Testament, right? And what does he do? He stops at a well to talk to a wayward foreign woman, right? The story of Jesus meeting the Samaritan woman at the well. This is when Jesus is just setting out, right? He's making his way uh, through this land through, and through Samaria at this point. Uh, and he stops her. Why? Because while Jesus was fully on mission from God, he was fully in tune with the Holy Spirit as to how to accomplish that mission, Okay? Proverbs 16.9 says that the Lord will direct your steps. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, folks. It's going to direct your steps as you go. He did it for Jesus. Spirit will do it for you and me, but we have to stay attentive, right? It involves listening. So how many minutes each day do you spend listening to the Holy Spirit for guidance as to how you, sh how you should be accomplishing your mission? Okay, how many minutes is that the only activity that you're engaged in? You're not multitasking. How many minutes is that it? That's what it means to walk in step with the Spirit. Cultivate this discipline in your life. 
right? Watch your effectiveness increase 100-fold, guaranteed. Discipline number eight, start. That's it, just start, okay? When Jesus called the disciples, it was what? Follow me, okay? Remember, he promised to provide the strength. He didn't need them to have it all figured out. He just needed them to get out of their boats and start, right? That's all he called them to. Okay, remember Proverbs 16, 9, the Lord will direct your steps. Folks, it doesn't say he'll direct your intentions. It says he'll direct your steps, right? It's been said that God directs a moving object. You ever heard that, right? So get moving. This is what he's calling us to, right? He's saying just get out of your boats. Let's go. We just got to start, okay? So all these S's, all these disciplines, these are great starting points to just to get you from zero to one, okay? So just pick one and start. You can start today, okay? Start. Lastly, discipline number nine, our final one. It's kind of a summary discipline. Soak. We soak in the life of Jesus. This is obviously, this is nowhere near an exhaustive list, uh, certainly of how to live the Christian life or even how to go on mission for Jesus, right? Uh, For the rest, what do we have to do? We have to do what the disciples did. Right, this follow me, this discipleship, this student relationship, this is an all-in call to go soak in the entire life of an individual, okay? See, one of the amazing things that separates Christianity from all the other religions in the world, right, is we don't get this checklist. We don't get this rule book. Uh, We get a person. We get a perfect person. It's incredible, folks. Um, Because Jesus was man, it means it's possible. It means we can do it. And because he's God, it means this journey with him to go on mission, it is limitless in its potential, in its adventure, in its joy, in its fulfillment, right? It's limitless. So as we pursue this Jesus, as we soak in his life, in time, right, through cultivating these and other disciplines in our Christian life, what's going to happen? He's going to affirm us. He's going to affirm you with ever more clarity, ever more direction, ever more peace, ever more joy within your mission, okay? It's not going to happen overnight, but he promises. He promises he will bring this to completion one day. We learn right away in the beginning of John's gospel, right, first chapter, that as Jesus calls Peter, he gives him a new name, a new, na- a, a new life. Right? It's a new calling. And you shall be called Cephas, which means rock. Right? But amazingly, it isn't all the way until Matthew chapter 16 that Peter gets to find out why. He has to wait all this time. He has to spend all this time with Jesus. And finally in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus says, you're ready. He says, and on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. See, Peter, like all of us, he was called to mission, right? Imperfectly, he started. He got out of his boat, right? Imperfectly, he followed after Jesus, okay? And over time, he cultivated these disciplines in his life, right? Until he became the type of person where Jesus said, you're ready. And then Jesus tasked him with one of the greatest missions of all building his church, okay? Perhaps one of the most 
purposeless people in the world became one of the most purpose-driven. Now, Churchill's boat cut through the waves, right? You want to know what's really impervious to the waves of life? A rock that not even the full power of hell can move. Jesus will give you that same strength. He'll give you the same mission that he gave Peter. Will you get out of your boat today and follow him as Peter did? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you've given us direction and purpose in our lives. Lord, even, uh, even when we mess up, you don't leave us to our own devices, God. Uh, but time and again, Lord, you rescue us and you remind us and you renew us, God, with this call to mission. Uh, Lord, I pray for every person here. I pray wherever we're at, I pray you'd give us the strength to get out of our boats. I pray you give us the strength to follow you and go make disciples, Lord, for you, all to your honor and glory. We pray this. Amen.